Some things only God can do. In the bottom of the pit where his brothers threw him, Joseph saw God's divine guidance and care, his providence. When Joseph was sold to Potiphar as a slave, then thrown into prison, God was already working for his good. dreams made the Pharaoh restless. God put Joseph in front of him. When all hope seemed lost, God redeemed Joseph's story for his good and his glory. There is only one who can do any of this. Okay, good morning church family. Hope you got your Bibles with you this morning. If you do, take them out. Turn with me to Genesis 41. The Bible is, is really so important for us humans. I, think, I hope you guys know that. I, you know, it's, we are God's precious, even favorite of all creations. And this is His creation, His, His way of teaching us about Him, His revealing Himself to us. Uh, his directing us and how to go about living on this earth. I hope you love your Bible. Um, because of that, in my opinion, it's like being able to read and understand the Bible is one of the most incredible gifts God's ever given us. It's not just this thing we're supposed to have to do. We have to make ourselves do it. See it as a gift. <laughs> See it as a gift. Now, outside of the Bible, we have a really hard time trusting any other source that talks to us about God. So if you want to know about God, read the book that God wrote, right? It's like the autobiography. Is that fair? Be really careful when someone says to you, you know, God told me. Just be careful. I'm not saying he doesn't. Just be careful. I was laying there one night and God said whatever. Be careful because it's really hard to test that. You know, it's hard to test those things that they're true or not. This is true. It's proven itself to be true for thousands of years over and over and over again. And when God speaks to us through his word, it's called revelation. OK, so revelation, that's kind of a big deal. God speaks. If I just say something, that's just Brian saying something. When God speaks. That's revelation. OK, and God doesn't sometimes speak revelation. And then sometimes it's just kind of, oh, God was just joking about that. No, if God speaks, it is always true. It is always revelation. OK, he's not like a preacher where you're like, oh, that was good. And then other days, right? I kind of get where you're going with that. Um, I know y'all talk like that at lunch. Um, it's revelation. When God speaks, it's always true. It's always good. It's always consistent with his character. So um, we go to his word to find him speaking. Now, with all of that said, OK, I have to pre preface all of that first before I say I do believe God sometimes speaks to us in other ways. OK, I do like our story of Joseph. God may speak to us in dreams. God may speak to us in our times of prayer, yeah? God may speak to us through other people in our lives. Um, he will sometimes even use a donkey. Now, if you read your Bible, you know what I was talking about. <laughs> there have been a few times in my life when I felt like God spoke to me, even outside of the Bible, in a very clear way. It hasn't happened often. I can't make it happen, okay, on purpose. Trust me, I've tried. You know, um, and I can't even explain it very well sometimes when I talk to people about those times where I feel like he spoke to me. But if I go back and, and then check it later, um, 
a couple of those times where I felt like he has spoken to me in a clear way, in a manner, directing me in some sort of way, it has come true. And so I go, okay, well, that, that does happen. You know, you just got to be careful with it. But in the summer of 1999, I was serving that summer with centrifuge camps, traveling around the country, leading worship every day in prayer and study and worship. And in the middle of one night in that summer, somewhere in the New Jersey, I think, I was leave, trying to sleep on the floor. There was no bed for me. There was no air conditioning in the house, and it was a very hot summer up there. And I felt like God spoke to me while I was laying there in the middle of the night trying to fall asleep. Two things he said, summer of 99. Number one, he said, I want you to marry Brooke. And I thought, well, that seems pretty good. I like her a lot. Many years later, turns out that was a good thing, right? Okay, so God. The second thing was this. He said that um, he was going to use Brooke and I to help plant a church. Now, that was in the summer of 2007, and when we planted Heritage with Sydney and Meredith. So eight years later, okay, from 99 to 2007. In fact, the, you know, all of that stuff in between, uh, it's kind of hard for someone like me to wait on stuff, okay? I'm pretty impatient, and, and eight years is a long time for someone like me. But in the middle of all of that, those eight years, we were serving in ministry, we were traveling around the country, making relationships in churches. It was kind of clear that it was possible that one day we could be part of a church plant. You know, there was potential there because of what we were doing. Now, Joseph, on the other hand, 17 years old, when God gave him those first two dreams about his family bowing down to him, okay? Now, we haven't even gotten to this part in the story, but by the time his family gets there to get grain from him, it's, he's 39 years old, okay, when that actually happens. 22 years he waited for those dreams to come true. 22 years. Now, to this point where we are in chapter 41, Joseph is 30. It's been 13 years since those dreams. 13 years. He has been sold into slavery, shipped off to Egypt, and thrown into prison. He is no closer to his family bowing down to him now than he was the night he had the dream. You know? And so, so if, if you're asking me, um, I would have probably given up maybe. I mean, Joseph never stopped believing in his God, ever. We talked about that last week. There's never even one instance where it seems like God has uh, left Joseph, where Joseph thinks God has left him. In fact, every conversation we see Joseph having is God-centered, isn't it? No matter who he's talking with. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week at the uh, middle of chapter 41. We're in verse 37. Remember, Pharaoh had had these weird dreams about cows and grain. Joseph had been summoned out of prison to come and interpret them for Pharaoh. Not only did he interpret them for Pharaoh, but he then goes on to tell Pharaoh about the seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. And he also gives Pharaoh um, an action plan for how he should prepare for all of this. So there's this prisoner slave Joseph, okay, yanked out of prison, standing before the Pharaoh of Egypt, and he's laid it all out there. So how does Pharaoh respond? Let's look at verse 37. Verse 37, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? What? This is Pharaoh. Remember, I told you last week, Pharaohs in Egypt thought of themselves as gods. OK, lowercase g, but gods. Pharaoh did not know God. However, Joseph had repeatedly told Pharaoh what God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's going to do. God has shown Pharaoh what he's going to do. The thing is fixed by God. God will surely bring it about. Every time Joseph opened his mouth, he was talking about God and what God was doing. And these assertions were beginning to inform Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, OK, he was starting to sense something was going on. Pharaoh 
The man who thought himself to be a God was giving praise to the one true God. Isn't that funny? He was worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and now Joseph. And along with this, he saw that God's faithful man, Joseph, who had been a slave. Think about that for all his grown years was incomparable. He said, who else? He was so overwhelmed. He said, who else? How, how, can, how can we find another man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Unwittingly, Pharaoh had lifted God's name up over the gods of Egypt. He didn't even really know what he was doing, I don't think. And that he also exalted Joseph. Look at verse 39. Pharaoh says to Joseph, since God has shown you all of this. You see, I mean, God is at work in the life of Pharaoh even. OK, since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Now, there's two parts to Joseph's investiture here. The first is empowerment. Pharaoh says you are now in charge of all the people. Second command, second authority. I'm not going to give you my throne. OK, but other than that. You are the most important person in Egypt. Is this incredible? The, the Hebrew slave boy who was just in prison an hour later, earlier, okay? He's now second in charge. What does Pharaoh give him? Look at verse 41, 42. Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. He clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. OK, he's he's knighting him. Right. He's saying without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. So he's given him the signet ring. That's the ring that the king would stamp on something to say, hey, this is from the, the king's office. OK, this is. This is law across all the land. He gives him royal linen clothes. He gives him a gold chain that, that only you would wear if you were royalty. Okay, then he, he's like, I know we got a lot of work to do, Joseph, for seven years. But first, before all that, let's throw a parade, get in my chariot, the second chariot, not the first chariot, but the second chariot. And we're going to run you down the road, have a parade. Everyone's going to yell, hey, bow your knee before Joseph. This guy was in prison, a Hebrew foreigner, <laughs> hours before this. Do you think God is at work doing something? Finally starting to see how maybe those dreams from many years before might have some potential. Now, I told you there were two parts to Joseph's investiture, not only empowerment, but also connection to the Egyptian people and culture. Look at verse 45. Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphonath Puniah. Zaphonath Paneah, try to work on that on Saturday on YouTube, trying to figure that out. Zaphonath Paneah. Pharaoh gives Joseph an Egyptian name. Okay? He gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. So Joseph gets an Egyptian name and a very well connected Egyptian wife. Okay? She's not just some, you know, normal Egyptian girl. She's a very fancy Egyptian girl. And it's evident Pharaoh was intent on Egyptianizing Joseph. Now, once, what's really neat, he calls his name Zaphonath Paneah. You know what that name means? No, you don't know. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. It means God speaks and lives. Isn't that neat? Despite the fact that the name was Egyptian, it was an ongoing testimony to the superiority of Joseph's living and speaking God. Isn't that cool? 
Pharaoh so, so saw in Joseph God's presence and action and work that he named him an Egyptian name that means God lives and speaks. Now, we see how thoroughly Pharaoh intended Joseph to become identified with Egypt. He gives him a new wife. And, and like I said, this is a really important woman. This Asenath was of aristocratic blood, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Now, the city of On was known as the Sun City, and it was the center of worship of the sun god, Re, R-E. Okay? So the priest of On, this girl's father, he presided over the temple and worship over this false god, the sun god named Re. He was in charge of worship festivals. He was in charge of all the other priests. Joseph is marrying into a very important Egyptian family. Are you with me? Joseph's clothing was Egyptian. His name was Egyptian. His language would become Egyptian. His wife was Egyptian. His father-in-law was the leading Egyptian son worshiper. Joseph's soul at this moment was in more danger than it had ever been in. Do you see what I'm saying? You see... It's one thing to remain connected to God and, and God-centered and faithful to God when you're at the bottom. Have you ever been at the bottom where there's only one place to look? I have been. It's another to be faithful when you're at the top. You see, when you're at the bottom, it instills dependence upon God. Days, months, and years in slavery and prison gave Joseph a sense of need and dependence upon God. There was only one way to look while in the pit, and that was at God. On the other hand, if you're at the pinnacle of Egypt, Egyptian life, riches, fame, resources, that could have inclined Joseph toward pride, independence. I mean, all of his faithfulness to God for this, for this many years and not a whole lot had happened. On the other hand, you know, he's got a new name, speech, clothing. All of this encouraged him to forget where he came from. The brilliance of his interpretation. I mean, he could have taken, you know, hey, I feel pretty good. I got this interpretation right. Pharaoh likes me. All these things are coming my way. Got a gold chain. <laughs> could have given him a sense of superiority, you know. Life at the top can make people imagine themselves to be really smart and wise and original, can't it? Someone who deserves what they got. You've seen it happen. Have you read the news story? Someone all of a sudden in entertainment or pro sports that become rich and famous overnight or someone wins the lottery. It doesn't always bring out the best in people. How would Joseph respond to all of this that's been laid upon him? Verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Joseph, let's look for verbs, went out from the presence of Pharaoh, went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, just like Joseph had said, and he gathered, another verb, up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt. He put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Joseph responded well, didn't he? He did not assume the rich and famous lifestyle. He didn't just sit back in the in the palace and go, hey, everybody go do what I said we should do. This brother went to work. I mean, he, he, he did all these things on his own. Rather, he responded with the kind of obedience that characterizes true faith. See, he truly believed that Egypt had seven good years coming. And in those seven good years, somebody needed to get to work so they could prepare for the seven bad years of famine. He believed that. Sometimes we say things, we go, oh yeah, this is what God's word says, but then our lifestyle does not show that we have true faith in what we said the Bible says. 
Oh, well, God is creator of all the universe. He has created me. He has a plan for my life. He has determined morally what is right and wrong. And then we go and live in a way that is not what we said. But not Joseph. He, he immediately gets to work. His rise to power did not dull his response to God's word. He gave himself wholly to hard work. How faithful was Joseph? How deep was his trust in God? All these years, Joseph had trusted God was with him. Joseph trusted that God was in charge of all things. Joseph trusted God's word to be true. But to be honest, and can I be honest, humanly speaking, it hadn't really gotten him much, had it? Slavery, thrown into prison, falsely accused. I mean, other than just being alive... That's, it doesn't seem like a lot of good was coming his way up to this point. What if he had given up on God during that time? What if he had taken his own life in prison? People do that all the time when they feel like there's no hope. There's nowhere else to go. You know, what if he had taken credit for the interpretation of the dreams and his plan and instead sat back and said, I'm just going to trust in my new Egyptian lifestyle. All the finances coming my way, all the power coming my way, people are bowing at me. Maybe this was what God meant. You know, like I had a dream, I thought this was going to happen, but now this is happening. This is probably what God intended. Everyone else was going to bow to me, not my... No, 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 he didn't, he didn't begin to, to fade in his belief of God's word or what God had promised. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is actually found in the book of John, in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, 3. Jesus is speaking. He says, this is eternal life, that they know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, Joseph knew God. He didn't just act like he knew about God. He didn't just know some things about God. He didn't just pretend to, to like God in front of other people. Joseph knew God. He knew his character. He knew his promises. He knew his love. And he was also about to know a new blessing from God. Look at verse 50. So he's getting blessed by Pharaoh, giving him a bunch of stuff, getting power, new names, new family, all these. But listen what God gives him in verse 50. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of Vaughn, bore them to him. So he has these two new sons with his new Egyptian wife. Verse 51, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Manasseh means he who causes to forget, okay? The birth of this little boy, it helped Joseph forget the incredible hardship in the past, the first 13 years in Egypt. It also eased his longing for his father and his siblings. This baby Manasseh brightened his life. Any, that ever happened to you in your home? A baby is born and all of a sudden, Whatever was going wrong, everybody just starts smiling a little bit. And this baby Manasseh, he did that for Joseph. Then there was a second boy, Ephraim, means fertile, and celebrated not only the birth of his second son, but the blessing that Joseph was experiencing in Egypt and in all of life. Joseph celebrated his blessings. He was filled with gratitude, optimism, and hope. This is Joseph, the believer in this great God. And here's the great thing, and you need to not miss this, okay? This, Joseph declared his allegiance to God and his faith in God's word and his faith in God's people by giving his boys Hebrew names. Manasseh and Ephraim are Hebrew names. They would later be included in Jacob's 12 sons that would become the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? Joseph had been renamed with the Egyptian name. His wife was Egyptian. Her name, Asenath, check this out, means she who belongs to the goddess Neet, okay? Referencing her idolatrous Egyptian ancestry. He could have 
given these sons Egyptian names. He could have named these sons after false Egyptian gods, but he did not. He had not wavered in his belief in who God was. The names of the sons were Hebrew. Any other foreigner seeking refuge in Egypt would have welcomed assimilation to this Egyptian culture, but not Joseph. In fact, he doubles down with his ethnic and spiritual origin by naming them these names. You see, Joseph at this time on earth believed in God unlike anybody else. Even the Pharaoh of Egypt recognized God's stranglehold on the life of Joseph. Joseph could not escape God's presence in his life, didn't want to escape God's presence in his life, even in the difficult times, the most difficult times. Three aspects of Joseph's belief. I want you to write these down. Three aspects. Joseph believed in God's greatness. Do you remember this when we did the four G's? Many of you weren't here. God is great. I don't have to be in control. If you remember that, it was really important for us. At the base of Joseph's belief, he had this transcending belief in the greatness of God. Joseph's understanding of God was that he controlled all of life, all of life, including the day in and day out events of life. He believed that God was at work even in sinful life. That's why Joseph never quit ceasing to believe in God, because his belief in God, the size of his God was so big. Joseph maintained the greatest concept and understanding of God of anybody else in his time. He declared that to Pharaoh right to his face, the God man, the pseudo God man Pharaoh. He told Pharaoh, the king, that God, not Pharaoh, controlled the destiny of Egypt. Remember that from last week? That's bold. That's believing in a really big God to set it up to Pharaoh and say, yeah, you're not really in charge. Let me tell you about the God who is. Do you believe in God like that? Do you believe in his greatness like that? Do you believe that no matter what situation you find yourself in, that the answer is God and God alone? Do you believe that no matter what situation you find yourself in, that God is in control of that situation? Or do you immediately begin to look to other places to try to manipulate things going on in your life because you think you have a better handle on what's going on than that God? See, when, when things start to go wrong, we begin to understand the size of the God we believe in. I might wake up at 5 a.m., I might get my Bible open, I might be spending time in prayer, and my God seems really big. And at 10 a.m., when things start to crumble around me in my life, then the proof gets shown, right? Do I immediately begin to run to other sources and other things, or do I go right back to my prayer and in God's word to say, God, which way are you directing me in this situation? How big is your God? Joseph believed in God's greatness. Second thing, he believed in God's word. Joseph believed in God's word that had been revealed to him through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He'd been taught his whole life about this. He believed in God's covenant promises that through this family, the whole world would one day be blessed. He also believed in his God-given dreams at a young age of 17. He never gave up on that. And he believed all of this without exception as he stood alone there in Egypt that's how later Moses would stand before Pharaoh. That's how Daniel would stand before the king of Babylon. That's how the apostle Paul would stand before the courts of Rome because they all believed in God's word. It was and should be our firm foundation. The men that have, through history, stood up and believed in God's word have done incredible things because they believe God is true to his word. They never doubt it. Joseph believed in God's word. Finally, the third thing, Joseph believed in God's presence. Joseph believed that God was with him both in the pit and at the pinnacle. 
That is why in the face of every political and social and spiritual force in Egypt, he gave his boys Hebrew names. He knew that God was with him in slavery. He was with him in Potiphar's house. He was with him in prison. He was with him in front of Pharaoh. He was with him in the work he was doing to provide for the nation of Egypt. God was with him. Pharaoh himself recognized God's presence in Joseph, which is why he exalted him to such a high position. Why else would a Pharaoh, king of Egypt, why pseudo-God man, why would he take a Hebrew foreigner prisoner and put him into that position? Something was going on. He recognized something was different about this Joseph. And it was the presence of God in his life. Joseph believed in God's presence. Let's finish up here. Verse 53. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. So he has his sons. The seven years of plenty have ended, and what's coming next? Famine. The seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Do you hear the repetition? It was a bad time. The famine was severe. It was over all the land. Everyone was hungry. Moreover, verse 57, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. The whole earth came to Joseph for rescue. The famine was so severe, it stretched over all the land and there was only one place to find rescue. This humble man, this man full of the Spirit of God, Joseph, this trusting in God's greatness, his word and his presence provided bread for everyone in need. You can imagine the question of that day, you know, as you would go about town. Have you gone to Joseph yet? Have you gotten the bread Joseph's got yet? Can you imagine if you would get it, you would go home. Oh, you, you guys get to Joseph yet? He has bread to give. Do you see it? Are you, are you listening? You, you know what's coming, right? Do you know your need? Because the famine of sin and death in our time has stretched over all the land all the earth, and there is only one place to go and find rescue, isn't there? You see, many, many years later, this man, Jesus, this humble man, would arrive on the scene working hard to bless the world through healing, forgiveness of sins, and showing love. He comes full of the Spirit of God, trusting in God's greatness, God's Word, and God's presence. He provides bread of life and living water for everyone in need so that they will never hunger or thirst again. Amen? The question today is, have you gone to Jesus yet? Have you gone to get the bread that he has to give? Have you gone to find your rescue? That ought to be the question we're asking every neighbor and every coworker, every, every classmate that we see. Have you gone to Jesus yet? Because he has the answer to our famine, our sin problem that is so making us hunger for righteousness it's the only answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. My friends are going to come back, and we're going to sing one more song today. I, I want to give you an opportunity to, 
to come and to pray, maybe to come and to talk to someone. Some of our staff or overseers will be up here to, to talk or pray with you if that's, if that's what you like to do. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever significant difficulty that's going on in your life, what I want you to, to be asking yourself is, how big is my God? Do I trust in the greatness of God? Do I trust him to be in control? Do I trust his promises? Do I trust his word? Do I trust his presence in my life to never leave me, to never forsake me? Do I trust these promises or do I look elsewhere when things start to go awry? Have I come to Jesus initially to have my sins forgiven, to find his love, to find this bread of life, this living water that only he can give? As we've seen, these are, these are questions that ought to be going on in our mind. If I'm a believer today, is there someone in my life that Jesus has pointed out to me today that I should be asking them, have you gone to Jesus yet? Am I sharing the rescue plan with those who are around me that God has given me influence over? Am I building relationships with them for the purpose of sharing the love and hope of Jesus? Father, we surrender all to you today because who else would we turn to? You are the good, great, holy God. You are consistent in your character from day to day, past, present, future. You never change. You are our only hope, the only place that we could seek after the love that we are desiring. Father, I pray that your presence would be so strong in our lives as believers that others around us would notice you. They would notice a difference in our lives. They would give you credit for it and maybe even unknowingly, unwittingly worship the one true God. Father, I pray that through us leaving this place and being a light in darkness that you might call some to your family this week even. I pray you would encourage us, you would strengthen us, make us courageous to share the love and hope that we have with those around us, Lord. I pray we would be looking with eyes wide open at those around us, asking them the question, have you been to Jesus yet? Have you been to Jesus? Because there's so many around us hurting and we have the answer. Father, thank you. Thank you for that answer. Thank you for Jesus and the cross and the blood. We love you, Lord. Amen. I'll see you next week. <clears throat>